I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One of the most interesting though was an actual shake though. It's not just a touch. So uh, there's one tribe um, in Australia you basically, uh, you presented your dick to them, to the people in that tribe. If they refused to shake it, it was a declaration of war. So the poor owner of this this penis would then kind of look frantically, I guess, at, at the, the other people in this tribe, like, please, will one of you shake my dick? Hello and welcome back to The Andy Rowe Show. Joining me today is one of the world's leading paleoanthropologists, Ella Al-Shamahi. Alice specializes in exploring in unstable and hostile territories. She's also an evolutionary biologist, stand-up comic, and author of the brand new book, The Handshake. With world leaders and health experts warning that the handshake may have to be consigned to history, Ella provides a unique and entertaining perspective on the future of the popular greeting, as well as some of the most famous and strangest handshakes of all time. I hope you enjoy the episode. Ella, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Apart from being a really long word, paleoanthropologist, and been hard to say, that's the study of human evolution. I've got that right, haven't I? Yes, that is 100% right. The amount of people that have no idea what that means, or they get like just stressed or ask if I'm Ross from Friends, um, <laughs> is unbelievable. To be fair, it's not that far from what Ross does. I love how I'm on a first name basis with Ross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he does more dinosaurs, I guess, and we we do more humans in paleoanthropology as opposed to ecology. And you specialize in hostile, disputed, and sort of unstable territories. How hostile are we talking? So I, if it's an active war zone that's being actively bombed, I won't go in. Fear. You know, I, I so I, you know, I've been in a place where we were in the neighboring city and the other city was being bombed and we could see the bombs being dropped. That's kind of um, as close as I'll get. So I won't actually go into the to the area that's actively being bombed. And I think just generally, my thing is just because one part of a country is an active war zone, it really doesn't mean the whole country is at all. In fact, frequently one part of a country will be completely a no-go area and there's other parts which are actually you know, relatively safe. Um, so those are the places that... I tend to go. Where was the place that you could see the bombs being dropped? Oh, actually, that was Iraq. So that was, um, yeah, so that was, you could see the the bombs being dropped on Mosul. Um, and we were like, right, so we're not going there, right? Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> we just stick to where we are. It's quite safe here. <laughs> what was the, what's the most dangerous place you've been? Is that in Iraq or? It's really difficult because I, honestly, if you want the genuine, honest truth, the most dangerous situations I've been in, you know, we've been in pirate waters and we've been near terrorist groups and we've been near tribes, which, you know, God knows what they want to do. And ISIS haven't been too far, too far away, blah, blah, blah. But the most dangerous situations I've ever been in have been, have involved snakes. Indiana Jones styles. Well, yeah, except I stayed well away from them. <laughs> like, no, but I just, I genuinely, this is one of the funny things. I think people are like, oh, you know, and I'm like, 
genuinely the most dangerous situations you tend to get yourself into are actually with you know nature that is trying to protect its territory more than anything else so for me it's snakes scorpions those are the most dangerous situations what's the hairiest sort of situation you've been in with a snake or a scorpion or even bombs getting dropped on the neighboring cities i've been very lucky i have to say and i really should say that i've been exceptionally lucky thank god i think for me personally we were in the jungle for a bit too long and it got dark and then we were kind of like trekking our way back and stupidly half the team didn't have I mean I had like four torches on me and headlights and whatever but uh, some of the team didn't have it because we weren't supposed to be there at that time and then you know one of the team thank god saw basically the biggest like it's um, a bushmaster it's the biggest snake in the it's 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 actually the most deadly snake in the world Uh, it was just like happily just there in front of us we had so many lights on us so we were like we have to keep our lights on all the right points on the snake because there's so many of us and we're kind of huddled and we're like, we've got to, got to keep an eye on it because it's such a big snake. We didn't want it to be doing something, you know? So situations like that, really, oh. which like legitimately, you know, I mean, some of my other colleagues that work in war zones have been properly in hairy situations. You know, a team that I, a team that I just joined in Iraq, you know, had to pack up their bags after five days because ISIS were kind of approaching and, uh, and then like two years before or something, they had to pick up, their bags from Libya because God knows what was happening. Yeah, you know, I'm I've been very lucky, I have to say. So why do you go to these hostile places? You know, if you if you look at a map and you were to mark off all the places on that map which are politically unstable, Andy, that's a lot of our planet. I, we come from kind of Western countries where things are really very very safe, and as a result, we're you know we're just incredibly lucky. Some might call us a bit spoiled because we live in a world where we don't have to deal with all that stuff. But most people on our planet have been exposed to stuff that's much darker. And the truth is, we're not really doing frontline or that much frontline exploratory science in those parts of the world. Now, if you think about how many scientists right now are working in Wales, just Wales, right? How many have been working there for the past like two, three hundred years and they're still discovering stuff, right? In Wales, we are still discovering things. Now, imagine places which are unstable, where very, very few scientists have worked. That's the front line of exploration for the future. Yeah, that's the exciting place that you want to be. If you want to find stuff, if you want to, if you want to kind of find the next big breakthroughs, that's where you've got to go. Um, so that's part of it. And I think the other part of it is it's a tragedy for science if we're not doing exploration there. But it's also a tragedy for those places. You know, who knows what incredible scientists might come out of those places. But because you know, in, in some of these places, like, for example, my field, paleoanthropology, doesn't really exist in a lot of countries. So how many incredible paleoanthropologists have we lost and we've, do we not have access to because that country isn't, you know, isn't open to paleoanthropologists and paleoanthropologists aren't working there? So for me, it's like a win-win if you're doing science there. You've just got to do it responsibly, you know. It's so exciting. And, you're, you know, we'll see it. Uh, and you can already see it. Like I was in Colombia in 2019 it was for a tv show actually it was for a channel 4 show lo and behold like some of the what the team called the possibly the biggest rock art find in certainly in in south america possibly even in the americas according to them they found in colombia in you know rebel hell in what was used to be rebel hell territory and it's like well of course they found it there because previously the rebels were there it was too dangerous for people to go in so people just weren't exploring it and now when they can go in, that's where all the big discoveries are being made. I mean, imagine like, right. so cool. 
so it's so you know if you really want to go Indiana Jones style in terms of discovery and finding the best stuff yeah you can keep going over Wales and you'll find stuff Wales is incredible imagine go further is there anything you're looking for in particular or is are, are you thinking that there's something that could be a breakthrough are you thinking that there's a discovery that you're looking for or have you been close to finding something what's on the verge what's keeping you going now for me personally what really really would excite me is finding human fossils so for example let's say i found a new species of human that's really cool right, right? every often then it's not often but every so every few years they find a new species of human it's a big deal because it always kind of shocks you you know it's like the time they found the so-called hobbit in indonesia like these tiny humans it's like what oh my god you know it's it's crazy discoveries that you're just like no way i think if i ever found i mean you've got to understand almost no nobody ever finds a new species of human but if i ever found that i'd be like all right lads uh, ready ready to go home i'll I'll sleep the rest of my life actually i'll just sit on a beach for the rest of my life i'm done now (laughs) but i mean that is the absolute ultimate but mostly i'm just i'd be happy to find any fossils you know of humans you know ourselves or neanderthals or whatever is that how you've gone that this interest in humans and evolution is that how you've gone from that to writing a book on shaking hands it's a bit more complicated if i'm to be really really honest i have a really unusual background right up until the age of about 26 i followed one of the strictest interpretations of islam um before i became secular basically so as a result of that, I never really shook a man's hand until the age of 26. Like you could probably count how many men's hands I shook on, on one hand. Like it was really very few. Um, and so as I kind of became more secular, I became obsessed with thinking academically and intellectually about things which a lot of people take for granted. So like the handshake, I was like, what, what's behind that? You know, like what's behind our interaction, men and women? What's even something as simple as the kiss, for example, I became like obsessed not in a not in a weird way or slightly weird way but like in a in a in a where does this come from because I kept thinking well hold on a second right I come from a really really conservative culture I'm sure that I if I'd have been brought up the way my parents would have wanted me to be brought up right or if I'd have been brought up a hundred years ago in the country that they come from Yemen I would not have had a tv and I would never seen a kiss on tv would I have instinctively biologically known what a kiss was? So when I'd have had my arranged marriage, would I have known what a kiss was? And so it was all this stuff that I was like, I'm really fascinated. If you never see something, like if I'd have never seen a handshake, if I'd have never seen this, would would I biologically just innately know what it is? Similar to the way that um, kids innately, you know, know certain things. They know like food and this and that. Do you know what I mean? There's like certain things. So I just became Mm. obsessed. I always just overthought certain things. And one of them was the handshake, because um, as I kind of started to shake hands, it was just really weird to me to shake men's hands because men's hands are usually slightly different. They're a little bigger, coarser, a bit hairier. And I was just like really aware of them. Uh, And so it's kind of always been on my mind. But in 2020, I was actually supposed to be on a number of expeditions and, and filming certain things. The pandemic hits and obviously, you know, I get benched you know all the tv i do is travel based all the um the expeditions i do obviously are you know foreign and what have you so i've got benched and i'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs and my tv agent and my literary agent start having a conversation or a good gossip i think is the best way of putting it and they're like we should we should suggest that ella write a book on the handshake and they don't know anything about this kind of me not having shaken hands for it for most of my life and they're like you know she's an archaeologist she's quite good at it 
and they were like Ella what do you think and I just started laughing I was like you have no idea how topical <laughs> this is not just for this moment but for me personally like this is my subject because of course I felt like oh I've already done all this I've already done trying to work out what's a good alternative you know I, I'm okay I didn't have the elbow bump down but I used to like you know put my hand on my heart or I'd salute people which was really weird don't do that instead of shaking hands yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'd, um, I'd just say to people, oh, I don't shake or I'd, I'd avoid them and try and pretend I was doing something else. So it's kind of like funny because I was like, oh, you lot are late to the party. I've already got this down. I can tell you already what's going to work and what's not going to work. So yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was, it was very, it felt very, very suitable. And if I'm to be really honest as well, um, I was kind of a bit annoyed with the way people were talking about the handshake. People started saying, oh, the handshake's dead. That's it. The handshake and the hugs are dead. There were even like heads of states that were saying, oh, it's it. We're never going to shake hands again. We're never going to hug again. And I just thought that's really bad messaging. First of all, it's not factually correct. Um, if anything, every case in recorded history of the handshake falling out of favor because of a pandemic or an epidemic, they always came back, as in the handshake always came back. Because it's been banned before, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, it's completely fallen out of favor. It's been back. Prescott, Arizona banned it during um, the Spanish flu. But, you know, all over the world during the Spanish flu, people stopped shaking hands. Um, There's a yellow fever epidemic when the United States of America was first formed um, in Philadelphia. Again, people stopped shaking hands. In Baku, Azerbaijan, there was a cholera epidemic at the end of the 1800s and they actually formed an anti-handshake society. You had to like pay a few rubles and wear a pin. And every single case, you know, came back very quickly. So it's just not, there's no evidence for it. And I just thought, you know what? There's a lot of people right now that are really scared you're catastrophizing. You're telling them they're never going to shake hands again. They're never going to hug again. And some of them are just going to be really depressed, but others are going to be like, well, if you're telling me I'm never going to be allowed to shake hands again or hug again, I'm going to go shake hands and hug because I'm not going to spend the rest of my life. Whereas if I turn around and go, look, you will hug and shake again. Just hold off for a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Just wait until, you know, we're all vaccinated and then you can, you can get back to it. People are much more likely to listen to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. messaging is terrible do you think shaking hands is the problem or is just hand hygiene the issue it's it's really interesting actually so there's this one global study that they did take a guess at globally how many people don't wash their hands after number two not number one oh i know the stat i've read the book it is shocking 20 percent under 20 percent. i think something like 18 or something i need to check but um yeah wash their hands after going for number twos that is unbelievable that is so bad that is one of the most disgusting and disturbing stats i have ever read i'm not even make i'm not even exaggerating can you imagine how many people how many hands you shake and you're telling me eight out of ten of those people have not washed their hands after they've gone for a number two yeah really it's really sick really and it's funny because you know you could say to that because I remember when I first read it, I was like, oh, well, you know what? There's This is a global study and there's lots of places in the world where, you know, they don't have access to running water, maybe blah, 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 all the rest of it. The Evening Standard, like, did this little study in pubs in London where they showed the amount of fecal matter on food, like finger food in pubs, you know, like shed, like nuts, basically. Yeah, because there's like urine on, on the nuts so you don't yeah, supposed it, to touch. No, it, it, but not just urine, fecal matter as well. So it's not just piss on these things. Like, oh. Yes, your face, your face right now is. There's a few theories on why we started shaking hands, though, isn't there? Like one of the the, the main one is the uh, the trust thing. Like so, you're showing the other person you don't have a weapon. 
Yeah, and I, I again, that was one of the things that I read and I was like, somebody needs to d destroy all these really badly, re I mean, they're not researched, they're basically really bad takes that have been going around for like 100 years or so, but they're not based on any real evidence. Um, so yeah, so the theory is, for the listeners that um, aren't aware of this, it's that uh, you go in for a handshake uh, because you're showing the other person that you're not carrying a weapon because it's your right hand and your right hand is your sword hand and you're showing that it's empty and the kind of shake up and down shows that you're, you know, kind of, it could dislodge a weapon hidden up your sleeve. I just think that's just like it's bollocks. I absolutely call bullshit on it because if you, if you think about it, surely the handshake would provide access. In fact, there's a US president called President McKinley and um, he was actually assassinated by a guy pretending to go in for a handshake and then he just used it as an opportunity to off him. It's just, it's so not, uh, it, it's not good at all, the theory. It's just not based on any real facts. And this is absolutely fascinating. I was looking at the work of uh, Dr. Kat Hobater, who's a primatologist at, at St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, and she, it's mad, she was showing that um, chimpanzees, we've known for a while that chimpanzees shake hands. They kind of like, shake fingers more than shake hands, it's really adorable actually. Um, and they also sometimes shake feet, which is, you know, almost as cute, if not cuter. Um, and she was able to show uh, that it has very similar meanings. So th there's even uh, cases where she saw um, two chimps like fighting each other and then afterwards kind of sheepishly going up to each other and like shaking hands, like making up basically. We kind of assume, because chimps are our closest living relative and if them and the bonobos both shake hands. What are the bonobos? They're just the sister species of chimpanzees. Right, okay. They're, they're another form of chimpanzee, I guess. Uh, the, the thing is, think that both of those species shake hands. We shake hands. So we're all closest on the family tree. So it kind of suggests that our common ancestor who lived about 7 million years ago also shook hands. Right. Which basically means that, you know, the handshake's been around for like 7 million years at least, possibly longer. And a lot of people find that quite shocking, but Actually, I'm not that surprised in the sense that we like to think we've evolved, we've evolved our way out of being animals, I think. Um, so we'd like to think that we communicate with each other like this via talking or via nonverbal communication that's kind of very obvious. I don't think we like to think that we communicate with each other via chemicals. And it turns out it's just not true. We actually do communicate with each other via chemical signals. There's this thing called chemo signals. And there are these funky ass experiments where they basically got gauze. They put them under people's armpits. They got them to watch like happy films or sad films. And then they took the gauze, they put it um, under the noses of another bunch of participants. And the participants were more were accurately reflecting um, those emotions in their faces. In fact, one of the experiments, they said point to the bottle that smells most like happiness people getting it right more than you'd expect um so chemo signals are real so it basically means we're communicating with each other chemically have you ever seen like sometimes how crowds change so there's this one theory which is chemical contagion which is basically talks about how sometimes when a crowd changes like from real happiness or real anger or whatever there's this theory that actually part of that is chemical and i've got to be honest i kind of i've seen that sometimes i've seen sometimes where it's not like you go somewhere and the mood just changes in a group. And it's not that somebody said anything or done something. It's like, it's a it's a weird thing. Mm. Isn't there also a study with the, the smell where it shows that people smell their hand after shaking hands? Yeah, so that's literally, if you think about it, if we communicate with each other via chemical signals, if we're still, if we accept that we're still animals and that's important, um, and we listen to those experiments, the conclusion of those experiments, 
then coming in for a handshake, that means I'm closer to you. So therefore my chemical signals will be passed to you quicker. But also the handshake specifically, they were able to show that the handshake, it's, it acts as a vector, as a, as a mechanism for transferring those chemical signals. And you are right, when they put hidden cameras out, they showed that the people that were shaking hands were touching their face and sniffing more than people that weren't. Subconsciously though, right? Yeah, if you'd have told me that, you know, sweat, happy sweat has a smell and sad sweat has a smell. You know, if you'd have told me this, like even like three years ago, I'd be looking and go, no way. <laughs> like, it's just really weird. And yet it's real. It's, it is mad though. It's completely mad. But I work with animals a little bit and stuff. And when you're out in the African savannah and you see animals and like the way the herds move, they partly rely on chemical signals. And it's like, well, why are we any different? Well, after hearing how often people wash their hands, smelling your hand after shaking hands with someone, <laughs> you're going to form a pretty obvious and maybe not, yeah. not quite a positive opinion of someone quite quickly, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. There's quite a few examples of the handshake just sort of backing up where it's been, it's so old, where it's come from uncontacted tribes that shake their hands right yeah and that was one of the coolest things so and this came from just a really random thing so there's this uh one tribe in they're an uncontacted tribe so that means kind of the outside world doesn't really have anything to do with them they don't they don't want to have anything to do with the outside world off india kind of in the indian ocean and i was just watching some footage of them so it's very rare to have any footage of them because it's you know they're they live on an island it's very difficult to access they don't want to be accessed and um, i noticed that one of them had given the symbol to the anthropologists with the cameras to, to get lost basically because i noticed this because the narrator said that you know they've told them to leave and i was like how did they tell them to leave i kind of rewind rewound the footage and basically one of the tribesmen who was naked just grabbed his penis and basically did an up and down you know it's a wanker sign basically but actually physically on him i almost fell off my bed because i was watching it i was like what the hell and i was like have i just seen that right and I was shocked because I don't know about you, Andy. I always just assumed the wanker for off, fuck off side was like a recent thing that yeah. they were just, you know, kind of 100 years or so. So I was absolutely shocked because I thought, well, hold on a second. If that's being done there, these people have not been in contact with like explorers or oil prospectors or missionaries. They've pretty much been on their own, very, very little contact with the outside world for, you know, thousands of years. So it suggests that it's biological. It suggests that that gesture is already in their DNA. And I was like, no, nah, that's, that's insane. And then I started thinking, well, when I started writing the book, I was like, the first question is, we've got to ask if uncontacted tribes shake hands. And it turns out, yeah, some of them do. I'm not saying all of them do, but some of them do. So there's this really great story of David Attenborough being in uh, New Guinea. And uh, he was just looking for birds of paradise. And the, um, this one tribe he was with were like, oh no, the tribe that's over there, they're cannibals, we don't go near them, they're crazy. He was like, well, I'm gonna go. And they left him, they were like, well, good luck to you, mate. <laughs> uh, and he starts approaching them and they run at him, like they're charging at him, banging stuff. Like it looks quite scary and he's just standing there. And then he just puts his hand out, like it's such a, like, like David Nassim Roman, just puts his hand out. And they, they stop and they shake his hand and it's like, what? <laughs> um, and it's, there's a few cases. Um, and actually there's even like academics and anthropologists who have sat down with tribes that are, have only been contacted very recently and said to them, you know, did you know what a handshake was before you met, you know, the outside world? And they were like, yeah, we, we practiced them. There's some handshakes that are extinct now, that aren't there? 
another one even involving, as you said, while we're on the topic of male genitals. One of the funniest things is was me looking at the extinct greetings because I I don't think a lot of people realise this, but like loads of languages have gone extinct, loads of greetings have gone extinct, and I kind of went on a search for some of the most fantastic ones. And for me, there are four that are truly fantastic. One is the penis shake. One is uh, the breast suckle. One is the uh, bum salutation. And one is the urine wash. The penis shake. This is an interesting one because uh, touching the penis is a greeting in, ha- or was a greeting in a number of different places in the world, um, including in some very seedy pubs in London, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the most interesting though was an actual shake though. It's not just a touch. So uh, there's one tribe um, in Australia you basically, uh, you presented your dick to them, to, to the people uh, in that tribe. And um, if they refused to shake it, it was a declaration of war. So so the poor owner of this this penis would then kind of look frantically, I guess, at, at the, the other people in this tribe, like, please, will one of you shake my dick? Because if you don't, like, they're gonna come at me, basically. Absolutely fascinating. Um, the the breast suckle again is one that I'd assumed it was just this one tribe, but it turns out there's different variations kind of that happened in other parts of the world as well. But the the most fantastic one that I did come across was where you would take a one kind of suck at the teat of the chief's wife as a hello, and I was okay. like, oh wow. The bum salutation is actually quite a well known one, in that it was. It used to be in Germany, it used to be in Japan. I think it's still possibly practiced in parts of Africa by the Fulanis, I think. Um, and that's, um, it, there's different variations of it. It could just be kind of turning around and bending over. Sometimes it's actually exposing, but there's different variations on it. And then there's this one, which is a urine wash, where I guess you just pee on someone. I don't know. Honestly, there's, I mean, it's so wonderful. Part of me is kind of a bit sad that they're extinct because they're just, they're so magnificent. They're so... You would just never expect them to exist, you know? There's some more recent ones that have kind of gone extinct, no, not properly extinct, but you're seeing movies um, still at the moment, like the curtsying and kissing a lady's hand as well. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so, And it's interesting, actually, because if you look at, like, Western Europe in particular, especially during the medieval kind of period, there was a lot of greetings that were quite gender-based or quite hierarchy-based, so people that were lower down, kind of, you know, the way that they would greet people that were higher up, blah, blah, blah. It was very, just very interesting um, because you could see where they were on the hierarchy. And the thing with the handshake is it's, it is really egalitarian. It's very much about um, equality. And that's, you know, I think there's a lot of us that think it's no, there's no coincidence, it's not a coincidence that the handshake rose as gender equality and democracy rose in prominence you know the kind of almost like the three go hand in hand in some ways actually shaking hands has a positive effect on the body though right there's actually i mean you talked about smells but there's other aspects that it does as well isn't there no 100 percent. so actually there's, there's a number of studies that are actually kind of fascinating so there's one where they showed if you if you're a waiter and you kind of touch somebody's shoulder you're more likely to get a higher tip there was one experiment where they gave people massages and they were more likely to trust complete strangers with their money. Like it's quite interesting kind of touch generally seems to reduce stress. Um, It makes people feel better. It reduces the heart rate. There's a lot of really interesting stuff. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Going back to kind of what you're talking about with, with chimps and bonobos and, and humans, how much do you think that the gesture is instinctively learned? Like how, how much of that is like, I just want to be touched, so I, I go in and touch? Or how much is it... you? have to learn how to do something i think it's probably instinctive in the sense that we've only got so many things that we can use to touch people with do you know what i mean like it's actually quite awkward to use a knee for example to touch someone you know the hand is it's very dexterous it's we use it for lots of things so it kind of makes sense that it would be the hand that we put out you know to, mm. to somebody's uh hand or to touch somebody else so it makes a lot of sense as far as I'm concerned. I, I do think it's probably instinctive. These things are very, very hard to prove 100% conclusively, though. You know, it's kind of, they're pretty strong theories, but they're very hard to 100% prove. How important is the handshake, do you think? Like, as far as, you know, it's one of the things that we need to do. It's, it's a funny one, because I think I am such a big advocate for the handshake, but also I was getting so annoyed Whenever I hear kind of etiquette coaches going, ah, oh, you know, you shake a hand like this and you've got to do it like this, otherwise it's this and blah, blah, blah. Or when you hear career coaches saying, oh, go into your, your interview or your meeting and, you know, you have to shake it like this at this angle or with this grip, otherwise, you know, it's really bad. And you even hear people say, oh, the handshake is the, is the most important thing in a job interview. And I remember sitting there going, well, it's more important than an accurate, like, you know, an appropriate CV and like a warm manner and just, you know, qualifications it just doesn't make any sense. I think, I think that's just such bull. I think you, you've got to see the handshake as important and you've got to see it as also being just bookending an interaction. That's it. You know, it's like, it's important, but it's not the end of the world. I was always brought up to have a good firm handshake, but some guys take it too far, especially farmers. I've noticed, and they'll they'll squeeze the shit out of your hand. Should I be trying to squeeze them back, or what? How, what's the? It, you know what? Actually, there's a lot of thinking about this about grip strength. You know, it's like how how much should you grip? And um, it is it is actually quite fascinating. I, I'm I'm really hesitant about this because I think the information is still coming in, the data is coming in. I think you've got to be polite, so it shouldn't it shouldn't feel too loose, and it shouldn't feel like you're about to crush somebody's bones. I'm not convinced it matters too much. I know some people really, really disagree with me on this. So it's a difficult one for me. As far as the grip goes, like how, how firm are you thinking? What's, what's a good grip? See, it depends. I, I've, I remember being, uh, having one of my friends shake my hand. It was so harsh that it hurt. 
And I went, geez, that's a, that's a firm grip. And she was like proud of herself and like, yeah, I've got a firm grip. And I was like, I think you might be an asshole. I don't want to speak to you anymore. <laughs> like I was like, what's that about? Like, why are you proud of basically crushing somebody's bones? It's very difficult because obviously some people are just stronger than other people. So it's kind of a very difficult one to predict. For me, I to get around that, I try to just kind of shake their hand, go in for one firm kind of flip. Mm. And then if I'm really trying to communicate that I'm, I, you know, I'm sincere, I try to put a second hand on to kind of like, you know, like really mean it kind of thing. Let's finish things off with your most awkward and your best famous handshakes. I think the best handshake is either Princess Di with the HIV patient, which is a really big deal, or one that not many people know about, which is uh, Nelson Mandela and Francois Pina. Is that how I pronounced his name? Yeah, right? yeah so- that's right. Francois Pina at the Rugby World Cup final 95. That's it. Good memory. For me, when I looked into that handshake, that meant a lot because um, you've got to imagine this is kind of just as apartheid has ended. Nelson Mandela's, you know, the new leader, but loads of white South Africans still view him as a terrorist. On the flip side, black South Africans see the Springboks with the national team as a symbol of hate. They don't like them. They want them disbanded. Uh, Francois is the um, is the captain, um, and Nelson Mandela walks into that stadium. I mean, you probably know the story better than me. Wearing I did a, watch it, and I watched your Blacks lose. Robbed anyway. He uh, he's wearing the the Springbok cap and top. And uh, and he shakes Francois's hand, and and there's like all these cute little details. Like Francois apparently, like he was like tearing up, like he, he was like properly getting emotional because he could see what Nelson Mandela was doing, which was like basically a massive, massive PR like piece. You know, how we talk about power plays. This was a peace play. It was just absolutely incredible. And then the I think the crowd was something like sixty three thousand people, like sixty two of whom were white. By the end, they were all just shouting Nelson, Nelson, Nelson. Mm. It's like, I mean, sport's important, but you don't assume that it's gonna it's gonna create something like that, you know, something that important. Um, I think it, you know, it was a real masterclass in racial healing, to be honest. And your most awkward, famous handshake? I feel, I feel really, really terrible about saying it, but um, there was there was one football one which was just really scandalous. Oh, you're gonna say Wayne Bridge and John Terry, aren't you? Yeah, I got I got a kick out of reading about that. And I don't feel good as a person saying that, but um, it was just so scandalous. It was just, you just think this is like, so people were taking bets on whether, if they were actually going to shake hands. Like everybody wanted to know if they were going to shake hands. As far as I'm aware, the story goes something along the lines of John Terry sleeping with his teammates wife who was wayne bridge wayne bridge goes to another or is start as playing for another team and they are coming face to face for the first time since the scandal was broken obviously they have the pre-match handshaking where everyone shakes everyone's hand in the opposition team and yeah as you said there were bets being taken on whether or not wayne bridge was going to shake john terry's hand and did he? So it was, I think it was a fiance and it was an ex-fiance, but the, the whole thing with the story is nobody actually knows what really happened. Right. Like, nobody really knows. It's just this scandal and no, but clearly something went down, but you don't actually, and, and you assume it was personal in nature, but you don't actually know what the hell happened. You know that like, um, yeah, John Terry's wife kind of 
like left for a few days and there's all this stuff that you know we just don't know what happened but yeah there was that moment and he snubbed him Wayne Wayne just Wayne Bridge just snubbed him basically he didn't shake his hand and it, the sad thing about the whole thing is of course it really in the end it didn't do uh, John Terry's career badly at all you know he was fine but uh, Wayne was quoted as saying one of the worst things is that he's remembered more for not shaking a guy's hand than for his football mm. and that that does break your heart a little bit do you know what I mean because you're yeah. like oh that, that's harsh that that's is harsh it. it's yeah. tough that, that's a tough gig am I right in thinking Yale did like a course for handshaking so I can't remember which university it was, but one of the American universities included it. Yeah, they were like, wanted to do like, and it's just like, y'all need to like, I don't know, teach people statistics. Like, like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, all of that's in your book and it's out now. It's called The Handshake, of course, if you didn't already pick up on that. It is a great read and full of fun facts and stories. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Andy, for having me. No worries. And thank you very much for listening. If you like this interview, the best thing you can do is leave us a review, share it on social media, buy the book, The Handshake, and make sure you subscribe. really does make a massive difference. Thanks again for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.